there's a popular saying, they're amateur rehearsals until he gets it right. They're professional rehearsals until he can't get it wrong. Wow. So, you know, my challenge was convincing myself that I had the intrinsic talent. To Welcome to the Prince George's Daily. In this season, we will take a look back at some of our favorite interviews. We will revisit the in-depth and often surprising stories from some of our outstanding Prince Georgians. We will review concepts from education to business to the Center for Performing Arts, all in Prince George's County. And of course, every episode we will share the latest local weather and news. Thank you, Joseph, for being here. Um, we appreciate you coming through. I uh, just wanted to talk to you today to, first of all, hear the, the, the knowledge and the wisdom uh, that you are going to bestow upon us. But we're interviewing people uh, who are entrepreneurs. We're interviewing people who have their own business, who work in their own business. And I wanted to talk to you because there's a lot that you do. And we wanted to you know, introduce you to PG County, so to speak. So could you first start off by telling us what the name of your company is and what services you provide? Uh, the name of my company is Cup of Joe Productions, LLC. Um, I'm actually a, a media production company specializing in audio for all platforms, live, broadcast, and studio, kind of like a radio show. Uh, the name came from uh, the, you know, Cup of Joe. My name's Joe. And also, technicians drink an insane amount of coffee. So we work really long hours, and having high-quality coffee was actually a gimmick when I started my company. So I'd go get uh, coffee from some, like, high-end roasteries, and we'd have gourmet coffee while we wrap cables. So that name was born from that. that that's pretty clever. Okay. So how long has your company been around? I uh, incorporated in 2018. Okay. But I actually started my company in 2010 under Gateway Arts okay. at, right here in Prince George's County. Good old um, PG. Good old PG. 
Okay. Okay. So what, what were you doing prior to starting your company? What led you to start your company? So I worked as a musician. Uh, I spent a lot of time doing performing arts work, church, religious programming, things like that. And I would notice that I'd play my instrument and the sound would be bad. So it would pollute everything I tried to create in the experience. So it's like, Good musician, bad sound means you're fired. So, <laughs> true story. So, I decided to embark on a career in production and uh, approach it from the more technical standpoint uh, instead of the more person-based, person like customer relations. My approach is a lot more technical than, than you would experience in, a, in an average scenario. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that makes sense. I mean, listen, I'm a musician, so I understand the sound man makes or breaks the performer. So that I understand. That's that's awesome. So, um, in dealing with being a sound engineer or or a sound production, what have you noticed differently from that aspect than playing as a musician? Uh, one thing I've noticed is that uh, as a technician, as opposed to a musician. I actually have to spend less time preparing for my work uh, to do the individual job, but it actually takes just as much time to prepare uh, the framework for it. So, you know, you consider a musician, a pianist who spends hours going over finger exercises and learning scales and learning the song, and, you know, they still have to perform it. So a lot of times as a technician, I do my stuff in advance, and I just show up and basically re, uh, react to the situation and not basically create anything, unless I'm asked to, in which I can. Um, but the biggest difference is that there's less uh, incursion on my time as a technician because I can actually tell them I'm not coming. As a musician, you know, it's demand-based. You, you have to be the person playing or you're not playing. Instead, now I can leverage technology and send my other guy on with my set of uh, digital assets to kind of sound like me. Mm. And I can, you know, take time to go enjoy the air. You know, that didn't happen 15 years ago. 15 years ago, you sat in your chair. So now I can kind of breathe a bit. Yeah, yeah. So as you said, you started your company in 2010, correct? Mm -hmm. So what was that like starting out, starting your company? How, what did you do to start? Like what kind of steps or what was the process like for you? There's a very clear outline on how to start a business. They're not specific about what it is. It's just there's certain rules. Um, anyone can really start a business. The, the first thing you want to do is go to the uh, State Department of Assessments and Taxation's website and just do a trade name search to make sure your name's available. So say you want to call yourself B-Buzz, you know, B-Buzz Honey Factory. You know, if it's B-Buzz Honey Factory is taken, you can't apply for the trade name. And they could actually force you to not use it. So make sure you have a trade name that's available. Um, research the appropriate licensure if, if required. Some businesses actually don't require license other than maybe taxation forms or some, you know, just if you have people who are in your house, if it's a home-based business, to make sure you have the proper zoning. Um, you know, for example, if you live in R55, R70, just make sure you have the zoning to do what you intend to do and literally just pay your fee and go make as much money as you care to make. 
All right. So I'm glad that you just talked about the make as much money as you can make as well, um, because you started your business, you said 2010. Um, and I'm sure before that you were working, obviously, somewhere. And most people work to make money. I don't know anybody who works not to make money. Um, how long did it take you in your business before you started to see considerable revenue, not just, oh, I got paid for this one job? What? How long did that take a long time? I guess it depends on the expectations of the person with the job. So I maintain a pretty low profile. You, you know, my Bugatti's not parked outside. So, you know, I'm a modest guy. So to make a modest living required literally no time at all. The first month I was cash positive mm. because I had a marketable skill. You know, a lot of times people want to do things that other people are doing that, you know, societal pressure social media will tell you popular but they're not necessarily uh durable so you know everyone wants to have a good time you go to a concert everyone expects the microphones to work or if you're broadcasting you expect to hear the radio broadcast at a certain time and those things are worth money to people who want the experience so i you know it literally was immediate money um the the hardest part was um i guess before it I had accumulated a lot of equipment before I formally launched my business. So I was able to roll it in and, you know, use that. But generally speaking, it, it made money from day one. You know, I'm not getting super rich yet, maybe next year. But uh, it, it, it was enough for me to, to enjoy a good life from the start. Oh, that's good. That's good. One thing you said was a marketable skill. And I mean, obviously, you had to be good at what you did. It wasn't just a, I decided to just do this yesterday. I've never done any type of work in this field or no knowledge, no prior knowledge of this. And now I want to get paid for it. Like there was some type of process. Or right. So before this, in 2008, I investigated the prospect of going to school to get formal training for this discipline in media production. So in 2008, nine i went to school at omega recording studio school of applied arts sciences uh does a primarily audio focused production which is audio for film things like that uh, at the time prince george's county didn't offer any curriculum in that arena and there really wasn't an access point so you had to drive all the way to rockville to get experience on real world equipment so I went to school in 2009. Uh, I graduated, got my certificates. Um, and I make a special point in saying certificate. Um, this is one of the few disciplines where you actually don't require a formal degree to be authoritative mm. or to have influence. Um, a, common a common saying in our field is there are no rules. It's actually pretty valid. There are no rules. You see, if you have experience and can make some guidelines that make you happy, and make your clients happy, you're pretty good. Now, there are rules, of course. Um, you have, you know, license, licensing rules. Um, there's OSHA regulations when you're on, a, like, a professional job site. But as it comes to the creative part, you actually aren't constrained by any guideline um, it, it, within certain things, you mm. know. There's, there are certain places where there are no rules, you know. Oh, that's good. Hey, that's good. No rules. Some people are reg re so used to being conformed to a set of rules or a box per se. Mm -hmm. And in your field, 
that's very encouraging to know that you at least have the freedom to kind of direct your creativity in a way that pleases you and the client. Absolutely. So when I when I work on uh, various job sites, um, my work ranges from recently a uh, very important event that was my company supported uh, Elijah Cummings and their family for the funeral of uh, Repu- uh, Representative Elijah Cummings. Uh, my company uh, did the broadcast that fed every major network in the entire country. Wow! As well as the packed to capacity crowd, um, to um, my online audience on Instagram, uh, which is which is rapidly growing, um, to installing equipment in coffee houses, to teaching volunteers how to do it at church. So it takes me everywhere. Literally takes me around the country, touring. Anything that can send or receive sound, we do. And we're able to use our creative elements to to really create an experience because that's what people want. All right. So I, I almost feel like I need to be standing up in, in your presence. I mean, you just... Yeah, right. You should be did. recording this in Reaper. <laughs> which which is another... Is a dig- Okay, so Reaper is, is funny you mentioned it. Uh, it's a digital audio workstation. I so don't. a lot of work <laughs> I do is... Um, Production, editing, mixing, mastering, uh, digital distribution, and uh, it's happened. To, it happens to be my favorite program in the entire universe. Uh, it was founded, I think, by a guy in two thousand seven. Um, it's re- actually related to an old media player called Winamp. Have you ever heard of Winamp? It's like Winamp. It kicks the llama's ass. Remember, oh, the, wow. remember no, the old AOL CD? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Jeez. It was part of that. Anyway, anyway, so so it's it's a program that was created in like 2007, um, and it's really unlimited. You can do as many tracks as you want, however you want to do them, as long as your as long as your computer can support what you ask it to do, it'll do it. Hmm. So I'm able to do film scores on a 12 year old laptop. Wow! So wow. literally 400, 500 tracks, no problem. So what's what's interesting? You've been doing this for a while, um, but you're still staying on top of the new technology, you're still educating yourself on this arena that, I mean, goodness sakes, most people who would have done something like uh, the service for Elijah Cummings, they would have hung their hat on that and say, you know what, I've gotten so high. I don't need to, what do I need to educate myself on further? I've already made it to this level where I can take it easy now, but yet you are still, I mean, talking to us about a program that some people do know, they are aware of, but it's not taken over as much as, let's say, Pro Tools or Logic in a lot of people's spaces. So what do you do to educate, or why do you feel it's important to constantly educate yourself in the field that you work? Well, obviously I want to keep working, you know. I'm not too old yet. But one 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 really serious point is that uh, data is becoming the big tool. So being able to analyze data that's received because you know audio when you program when you receive it it's just basically data um and you can actually analyze it for content so for example um reaper uses python which is a programming language and you can actually write programs or write scripts in python to tell uh to actually sort your files by spectral content so if it if the spec if the spectrum signature looks like a bass guitar you could have it Say it's a bass guitar and put it in the bass guitar track, and then you can actually start to sort your files by type without 
having to actually know what it is. So now people who are helping you do your work or people who are being creative have an additional tool that's reliable that costs very little money and at least makes it more organized. So by the time I get it, it's labeled makes sense, which saves me a lot of time. You know, imagine doing, uh, you know, each, each song, like if you hear composed work, is composed of individual tracks, which would be like, you know, for example, like a shaker or a bass guitar, hi-hats, you know, drum set, which could have anywhere between eight to 14 different microphones attached to it. And each one of those has to be addressed individually, one by one, for the whole entire song and blended together. Imagine doing that 500 times and not having any channels named, oh, any tracks named. It would drive you crazy. So it helps you. The, the platforms are evolving to the point where Things that were manual are becoming automated, and they don't actually require as much of our time, mm. which makes it faster. And you know, efficiency is king nowadays. So my learning how to adopt a data-driven approach or a or an automation-driven approach to even something as simple as audio production uh, gives me a tool to to actually uh, to make more money. Because my clients think this is real time, and I'm home sleep, and my computer is sorting all this out, and I'm charging runtime. So, uh, yeah, that's because it is your time is your time, you know. That's true. That's true. All right. So you you are clearly uh, not a novice, which is great. Um, what are some of the challenges that you have faced as an entrepreneur? Like, uh, is the support when you first started, or even now, do you still find that maybe? getting the support of other people or saying, hey, you know, I actually can do this. I'm good at it. And do you find yourself having to convince people or what is that like? Well, in business endeavors, you always have to convince people of your worth. Uh, most people don't know what we do. So in order to show them, you have to provide some form of credential or some recognition by a professional society that would certify you in a sense because certifications you know, say, I don't know what you do, but this piece of paper says that somebody who knows what this stuff is endorses you. So the biggest endorsement I was lacking came from myself. I didn't think I could do it because, you know, sometimes you look at what's on MTV or Firecom or BET and you see these people who are, uh, you know, showing how showing their prowess and all that, and they actually don't know it. They knew just enough to get the job, and they don't tell you that. But you know, in learning how to do it and to be thorough about the acquisition of knowledge, uh, it literally makes you uh, it 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 catapults you into a place where you can't get it wrong. You know, there's a popular saying: the amateur rehearses until he gets it right; the professional rehearses until he can't get it wrong. Wow. So. You know, my challenge was convincing myself that I had the intrinsic talent to do it. It wasn't the technology. It wasn't the tech platform. It wasn't people beating me down saying, you know, you should go work at Staples. Um, it was me. So once I overcame that obstacle, and it's still a work in progress, um, as I build my confidence, it actually builds my technique and makes me a little more uh, intrepid. I guess I'll use a big word. That's that's good, though. I think as far as entrepreneurs, a lot of times the biggest holdup is the entrepreneur because, you know, you're embarking on something that is not being done in a lot of cases or 
you're competing or you're in fields where other people you see doing this at such a level, it's like, man, can I even get to that level or even halfway to that level? I mean, that's that's something that every entrepreneur has to overcome. So thank you for sharing that. And like you said, it's still a work in progress. So Absolutely. Yeah. Um, everything has a scale. And as you grow, as, as, your, as your technique grows, the demands asked of you change and evolve over time. And I'm just trying to keep up and adapt and, you know, be on the right side of regulatory rules and, you know, all the good stuff. So, All right. All right. So what are some of the benefits of having your own company? Working for yourself. I have no income ceiling. That's a word right there. Right. So if I can devise a plan to scale or if I can or if I just feel like charging twice as much as I normally charge because they don't know how much I charge, I can do it because there are no rules. Remember, we talked about this. That is true. If I don't like you, I could charge double. Or if I like you, I could charge half. Or if I really support your cause. And it's something that I feel passionate about. I can do it just because I want to. And that removes the constraint from having to answer the money. Mm. You know, So I actually have reached a point where I don't work for money. That's awesome. I do make money, but I don't work for money. That's awesome because you're passionate about what you're doing, Correct. first of all. And that that's to me is where it should begin. Like if you're not passionate about it, then eventually the money is only going to complicate. Money things. is your only reward. And I've seen a lot of technicians... And if there are any uh, media production technicians, they know this, where they get beat down and it's just, I'm just here for the check because, mm. you know, I don't, they don't know what I'm doing. I don't even think I'm doing a good job. I don't understand it. I've been here 12 hours. They don't understand. And it does happen. Um, but you have to push through it. And passion really helps you when, when your uh, effort is kind of failing. Or sometimes when you're, you know, it, discipline will kick in and you just get it done. But, you know, passion does help. I was just about to ask you, so what is it like when you have those moments of, you know, I'm passionate about this, but I don't feel like doing this right now. Or maybe I have something else going on in my life and I can't give the same energy at the moment for whatever the case is. So what you do to kind of keep yourself on track. And I guess you can answer that with. with well, yeah, I mean, rigor is maintenance of a standard. So I have a rigorous approach to how I do my work. Uh, strictly speaking with the audio, you know, don't look at my room. That's not rigorous. It's a mess. But, you know, in terms of what I do professionally, um, I am rigorous about how I approach it. And I can literally every single, uh, you know, like we have our digital sound boards and even some of the analog stuff, I actually remember every single board I ever programmed. Wow. So that's rigor because now I can maintain that programming. If someone calls me six months from now and says, Joe, What's wrong with channel 37 in this particular venue? I can actually answer it off the top of my head with no computer. I don't have to go to Google Drive. It's right in my head. Wow. Now, I don't know how much longer I keep that up, so now I have somebody to keep track of that for me. But, uh, you know, for, for the first few years, I could just rattle it off the top of my head. Wow. That's amazing. So you've been doing it a lot. So, okay, um, work-life balance. What does that look like to you? I know that's always something that everybody, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, you you struggle with because life is demanding. So what what does that kind of look like a perfect day for you? There is no work-life balance. It's not balanced. There is no equilibrium when this ha- it, it the pendulum always swings. Somebody gets cut short. You just have to 
make sure that who gets cut short equalizes relatively over time. So there's days I want to go play with my daughter, and I can't. There's days I want to go to sleep, I can't. There's days I want to go to work, and I have to tell them no, because I need to go play with my daughter. So there's no real sense of equilibrium because, in my opinion, um, it's an unnatural choice to make, you know, in, 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 in sustaining our work and sustaining our effort and to make money. Um, it always seems like you take time away. So I would say in terms of balance, I would tend to put more effort on the life part than the work part because, you know, because a lot of this can be automated. You can decouple from it and just manage it. Mm-hmm. So I would put more emphasis on the life part than the work part. Mm-hmm. But you have to know a lot about it to decouple because, you know, things can get crazy. You know, people can interact with the devices and everything causes a mess. And you have to really understand it thoroughly to be able to say, okay, I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to go away. So work-life balance is still a tough thing, especially in production. Because a lot of times we work when everyone else doesn't work. When have you gone to a rock concert at two in the afternoon? <laughs> That's true. Right. So y'all are at work. We're preparing for the concert you're coming to when you get off work. So we work when you're not working and when you also work. And then we go home and kids are fast asleep, wife is asleep, we're asleep. So it's demanding. Um, it's uh, it's not co- it's not uncommon to work sixteen hours straight, um, with time and a half, of course, after after ten hours. But um, it can be demanding, certainly, certainly so. Oh, okay, yeah, well, that's that's very very good to hear. That I mean, I, that you value the life part more than work, because at the end of the day, I had to learn that lesson the last couple of years. Yeah, the work goes on one way or the other, but the life. And they'll they'll actually accept lower quality because it's work. You know, they don't know if if you if you start with say you start at at, at zero, and you move the bar fifteen feet, they only see that you move the bar. They don't necessarily recognize the increment of the progress you've made. So that's why some people work slow because you know they say, oh, he moved the bar, then he moved it again, mm-hmm. and he moved it again. So in my growth as a company. I'm learning how to actually move the bar in slower increments. Not to not to not to pad my pocket, but to actually conform to conform their expectation to what I offer. Cuz they don't expect to go to the moon in 3 days. You know, it takes a while to get up there. That makes sense. All right. So what what would you like to see or where would you like to see your business in say the next 5 years? Expansion, more technology, I think what I really want to see is um, the platform that would be led by minorities. Am I allowed to say that? Okay. Yeah, I really really want to see minorities embrace technology uh, because we have access to it. It's, It's... Fairly democratic now, not to, like political democratic, but like I mean everybody can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has access to the technology now for the most part, and we know our own voices. We understand our own culture, and putting those two together means we get a result that is unique to us and can't be taken. Mm-hmm. It's right. So that's what I want to see. I, I really want to push 
for education in technical arts, um, like recording, audio production, film, because it's our experience. And we can document it ourselves and create a functional economy within our own companies right here in Prince George's County. And that is, nobody can take it. Nobody can steal it. And we monetize it with our own effort. I'm all here for for every last one of those statements, right. man. Like nobody can tell our story like us. Right. And again, it's like saying, you know, this device responds differently to your touch than mine, which is absolutely incorrect. So a lot of times we've been trained to think that we don't have the technology, we don't have the approach, but we actually do. And sometimes it's it sounds different from what someone else would tell uh, tell it, tell us what it should be, but then it becomes our authentic experience, and we can support it, and we can repeat it because it's our own judgment. We don't have to conform our brains to think, oh, it should sound this way. It sounds like what I think in my head because that's the way I heard it for the last fifty years. So, hmm. awesome, awesome. So, uh, what advice would you give to somebody who says to themselves, you know what, I think I want to go in business for myself, doing whatever it is. I feel I want to do, um, what would you tell them maybe some guidelines or some type of advice to start? I would recommend that you talk to somebody who got it wrong. Before you plan on getting it right, talk to somebody who missed the mark because they'll have a much, uh, they'll have a much more uh, accurate uh, perspective of what it takes to do it because they saw what didn't happen. Um, there's plenty of people who can become successful, but success is iterated failure in some cases. So talk to somebody who missed the boat a couple of times and they'll say, here's, you know, you always know, you know, say, you know, experience versus judgment, you know, talk to somebody who didn't get it right the first time, but eventually did get it right. I mean, you know, so I would say consult someone who uh, has had some obstacles thrown at them and we're able to overcome them. Uh, secondly, I would say uh, talk to somebody who um, who's younger than you. So one of my one of one of the guys who teaches me and keeps me on my toes is like nineteen. Hmm. He knows nothing about the historical legacy part of our business. He literally does most of his work on his iPad, and he can run rings around me. And I'm a pro, and I watch him like, yeah, I just saw you do that. It's amazing. So, but yeah, though, like you know, if you're going into business, look at somebody who's ahead of you, and look at somebody who's behind you, in terms of age, like somebody who's younger, somebody who's older, because younger people have the capacity to innovate because they don't have precedent. And that's it. Oh man, that. Yeah, good good advice, good advice. Um, so how can people keep up with you or your company? You have a website, you have a, a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or if they want to use your services, how do they get in touch with you? So um, my primary focus is actually uh, um, I do like volunteer training for churches of all of all of all things. You know, there's thou there's literally thousands of churches within a fifty mile radius of this school. Mm. Um, and I don't have a thousand thousand technicians to sell them, but they all need help. So I teach uh, platforms like Instagram. Uh, I'm pretty much mono channel right now. I, mean, I get most of my engagement from Instagram, believe it or not. Um, I actually have 
a much higher than average engagement on that platform. Um, also, I'm working on my website. Uh, I haven't needed one because my, you know, you kind of bite off what you can chew. But for people who don't know what I do, who may be enlightened by this discussion, I'll be able to present something uh, pretty soon. I'm a, so I should probably say by the time we air this, it'll be ready. So I should probably say that. You're gonna you're gonna chop any of this out, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna put that in there. Okay. Hopefully, it's a clean edit. I'll I'll, I'll watch through it. <laughs> no. Anyway, um, all right. So I'm gonna just do this. Uh, okay. So I do have a website. Uh, it's cjp. Um, that's my domain. Uh, where you can find out what I do, and who I sell it to. All right. All right. Thank you so very much. Is there anything in closing you wanted to say to the people or you wanted to express that maybe a question I missed? I'm just really glad I'm able to think through this. You know, this is a this is a changing climate uh, politically and in terms of our business climate. Uh, large businesses are faltering because they lost the capacity to innovate. So I'm grateful to be on the ground floor of this new revolution of uh of uh of technology uh that's coming up and you know i'm just grateful to, to be a part of it from prince george's county yes indeed the county Absolutely. the county you know we 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 have uh you know what's 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 the what's the county logo oh the logo for the county uh i saw it when i was coming here anyway we, it's a it's, it's a great place to be i'm glad to be here all right, guys, thank you so much for listening. This is David Smalls for PGC Radio. I'd like to thank my guest, Mr. Joseph Willett, uh, media man extraordinaire. Um, we hope that you learned something. And until next time, you all have a good one. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. George's County, I am Lillian Torres, and here is the latest news for today. A federal judge on Wednesday halted President Donald Trump's executive order that gave state and local officials the ability to shut the door on refugees and ignited a fierce debate in communities about how welcoming the United States should be. U.S. District Judge Peter Messitt said that the president's order flies in the face of clear congressional intent of the 1980 Refugee Act. Trump issued the order in September that required settlement agencies to get written consent from state and local officials before placing refugees in their jurisdictions. The administration didn't immediately say whether it will appeal methods. A man who was found shot to death in Oxon Hill, Maryland was reported missing earlier this week, police said. 25-year-old Marcus Shabazz of DC had been reported missing Sunday in the district, Prince George's County Police said Wednesday. Two days later, around 7.30 p.m. Tuesday, his body was found in a wooded area in the 1500 block of Iverson Street in Oxon Hill. He was found dead with multiple gunshot wounds. Police are investigating Shabazz's death as a homicide. 
And for our last story, a measure with bipartisan support in Maryland would stop the state from suspending a driver's license due to unpaid traffic fines. Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch supported the measure during a news conference on Wednesday with lawmakers. Frosch says tens of thousands of people have lost the privilege to drive because they have been unable to pay fines and fees that have piled up sometimes from very trivial traffic violations. Senate President Bill Ferguson says it's an important initiative to ensure that someone who is struggling to pay a bill, they don't lose their right to drive to work. For the Prince George's Daily, I am Lillian Torres. This podcast is brought to you by Prince George's Community News and Prince George's Community College, celebrating over 60 years of offering the highest possible standards in college education for the county and the region. Visit us at pgcc.edu. The opinions expressed on the Prince George's Daily Podcast do not necessarily represent those of Prince George's Community College, its employees, or its affiliates. The producers of the Prince George's Daily Podcast are Heavenly Bee, Maude Desai, David Smalls, Joshua Boykin, Brian Green, and Chandra Durham, and is executively produced by Dale Roten. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our discussion on businesses in Prince George's County. This is the Prince George's Daily.